You know, I almost forgot. How about those Mariners, huh? Man, that was exciting yesterday, uh, watching that game, or at least the ending of it was at least uh, exciting. It reminded me of, of the warm August day. I was, we, we went as a church one of the Sundays to, uh, to see the Mariners, and I was sitting next to the Bimers and uh, just thinking about how cute your son was during that whole entire game. And they had, a, they had a grand slam in that game, too, if I remember, right? Yeah, so I, I'm, I, I feel like every time I watch the Mariners, they hit grand slams. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, um, uh, very cool just to be here in Seattle. It's history, right? 21 years. That hasn't happened for a really, really long time. Uh, I just wanted to start this, this, this morning kind of talking a little bit about... Um, well, uh, a little bit about, but just kind of some of the things, some of the, the, the where we're headed as a church. And it has to do, I was reminded, like the Blues Walk that we kind of promoted and, and did a few weeks back, I didn't do a very good job of telling you why we were doing that. And uh, one of the shifts that's happened during the pandemic, uh, well, I, you know, the face of our church, like the, who attends our church is very different. Also, uh, who's employed at our church, our staffing looks very different. And it used to be that our mindset was, you know, what can we do here on our church property um, that might make an easy invite or a way to uh, people who are outside the church to set foot inside the church. And in the culture where we live in here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, there is no uh, church culture. I grew up in the Midwest, and things are very, very different. Uh, my friends that have grown up in the South, they're even on a different level yet. And so the Pacific Northwest is, you know, I would say unchurched. And there's, there's no reflex, hey, on a Sunday, what should I do? People don't wake up and go, oh, maybe I'll go to church. You know, they think maybe I'll, you know, go mountain biking or I'll go hiking or do something outdoors. Uh, it's very, very different. And so one of the mindsets that shifted for me is just this, uh, well, we literally don't have the staff power anymore to plan these events uh, on site, except things like the trunk retreat. And uh, thanks to Christina Schmidt, you know, these are all volunteers that are kind of organizing this rather than a staff person uh, who used to be. But um, the thing that's changed in my mind is that whole idea of like, we, we don't go to church, we are the church. And for my friends, for my neighbors, for, for people that I know that um, are either outside of the kingdom of God or maybe they're just kind of uh, taking a vacation from God for a while, uh, they're not, they're, there's nothing that's going to happen here that's going to make them come. I mean, other than the Holy Spirit. But it's very hard for me to convince someone to come to church on Sunday morning. But I can make it possible to take church to them. And that's all of us. That's all of you. And so when we do things like the Blues Walk, in the back of my mind, what's operating is, hey, that's a fun, uh, just able, you know, let's go do the Blues Walk. That's fun. Um, but it's also this sense of, as I'm making my way around, like I'm bumping into people from our congregation. I'm introducing them to people who I know and vice versa. And that is a very, very important and powerful thing. And so, you know, we just pray like that God would make connections between people and relationships. And it doesn't have to be just stuff that's happening on Sunday morning. It can be happening throughout our week. Um, you know, the power of hospitality in our busy and hustle and bustle world is still a power. And uh, that's, a, that's a lost art form that you know, almost got snuffed out during the pandemic. We couldn't do it. 
And I think that there's this uh, open door. The door is open wider right now than it has been in the past because people are really hungry for connection. And, um, you know, that, that might have, maybe that hunger is on a downward slope. You, you would have said it was more last spring, but it's still there. And as a church, uh, some of you actually are given a spiritual gift, like you have a superpower of hospitality. And man, if we could unleash that, not just on Sunday mornings, but uh, in our homes and in our lives throughout the week, the Holy Spirit will use that. So we're in the midst of a sermon series called A Beginner's Guide to the Kingdom of Heaven, and Jesus provided the perfect introduction to this topic. He spoke about it often, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Sometimes he called it the kingdom of God. Uh, We talk about it as Christians simply as the kingdom. And uh, talk of the kingdom was often on Jesus's lips. And that excited his listeners back in that day, uh, the people who were alive at the time hearing Jesus, because they had this vision, this hope, this dream, this promise, actually, that God was going to send a Messiah, an anointed king, to restore the kingdom to Israel. And so they had all of these expectations that God would send this conqueror who would come in and subdue all of Israel's enemies, this charismatic leader, and establish a new kingdom. Well, the truth is God was establishing a kingdom in Jesus, the Messiah, but it looked a lot different from what everyone else expected. God was up to something new in Jesus, and the lessons provided in the early chapters of of the Gospel of Matthew, which is where uh, where we are right now, they serve as a beginner's guide of sorts to faith, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's located in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And when I started this a couple weeks ago, um, I knew that the amount of material in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, it's it's vast. There's a lot there. And I kind of, you know, I had this idea, we'll we'll, we'll work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. I would kind of cherry pick the best of teachings and um, go from there. And then the first week happened. And for whatever reason, we ran out of time. And I, believe it or not, I do look at the clock and not all the time. You know, we don't have, I'm not like a, oh man, at 60 minutes, we're cutting this off. I don't care what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're going home. Um, But I also am like, yeah, you know, we can't just keep on going and going and going. I worked for a guy once like that. And as a staff person, you're like, we're like 20 minutes past. We got to go, man. I got lunch plans. And anyway, um, all that to say, I, I realized like, oh, we're running out of time. And so I cut it off. I'll make it up next week. And so the next week happened and I had to do it again. And so now in this sermon series, we've gone through two of the Beatitudes. And at that point, I just decided this is now going to become a series on the Beatitudes. And so we're going to work through the first part, uh, take a break for Advent and maybe some stuff in January and February, and we'll come back to it in Lent. So um, the Beatitudes, uh, and really all of the Sermon on the Mount, it's the most famous collection of Jesus' teaching found anywhere. It describes what a person looks like who follows Jesus' way. And you're going to hear me, you're going to hear us talk about Jesus' way probably more than you ever have in the past, and here's why. The last couple years has impressed upon me that, you know, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that uh, the truth, I've grown up in church, I went to seminary, and uh, throughout all of that, all of my life, like, 
The Christians that I know have majored on truth, absolute truth, God's truth, objective truth. I even went to seminary to know how to handle the truth, the, the God's word in the Bible to you know, be faithful to that. I feel like we've done a, a pretty good job, not that we should not talk about God's truth, we talk about the life of Jesus. I love to talk about the life of Jesus, like in the Gospels, but also like it's not just his eternal life. It's the life that we get to discover and live in him right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's amazing. Let's do it. Let's talk about Jesus' life. And then we get to Jesus' way. What is that? I, I, I grew up thinking, thinking or being taught that Jesus' way had to do with our behavior, yes, but specifically like our morality, maybe ethics, like how do we make decisions and do the right thing? This is the way of Jesus. And um, that's not wrong, but it is very, very narrow, I guess, is what I would say. It's like when you realize that you've thrown a wool sweater into the dryer. You pull it out and you go, oh, it looks like a wool sweater, but man, this is kid-sized now. It's this very shrunk down view of the way of Jesus. Is it uh, doing, you know, knowing right and wrong and doing the right thing? Yes, absolutely. It's also so, so, so much more. I mean, there's a robust, beautiful, attractive way of life. And by that, you know, this is something that shapes our motivation, our life practices, the rhythms, our day-to-day -day priorities. Like, uh, it affects everything. You know, Christians, before they were known as Christians, were known as what? Followers of the way. So there's history here. And so we're, we want to explore that and expand that more and more and more. What is the way of Jesus? And how does someone in the 21st century located here in North Bend, Washington, the United States, live that out? It's exciting. Uh, it, I, 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 it's, it's really exciting. It's what Jesus came to empower us to do. And the way of Jesus is not like the way of our world. A few weeks ago, I told you about a guy I knew in college. We all, we all know that guy, right? Oh, this guy I knew in college. And uh, his name was Roy. He was from Sweden, and he loved to debate. And uh, I went to a small Christian college in Chicago. And to go to that college, you didn't have to say, I am a Christian. You just had to agree that you would take a New Testament course and that you acknowledge the fact that, hey, this is a Christian university and... Um, uh, they might do things differently than the University of Illinois, for example. And so we had Muslim students, we had Hindu students, we had lots of agnostic and atheist students. I mean, you didn't have to be a Christian to go to North Park, but guess what? You were going to take a New Testament class. And so um, yeah, as a part of this class, Roy you know, was reading through the Beatitudes, and he, wanted, he knew that I was going to be a pastor someday, and he wanted to talk. And so we, we had this back and forth conversation and he was not a fan of the Beatitudes. Uh, I would quote, he would like, who would want to live this way? Who, who could live this way? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the what is going on here was kind of his whole attitude. 
And uh, Roy had believed or had the opinion that the world was there for the taking. Um, you know, that it, uh, through a little bit of hard work and assertiveness and just getting after it, that you would succeed. That was his idea. And when he would read what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, he just went, this is bananas. Like, this makes no sense to me what, whatsoever. And uh, I used to wonder, and it wasn't, we, we had these little debates often. And I used to wonder what would happen if, if my friend Roy ever encountered failure. You know, I, at first, I, and I might have even told him, it's like, well, what happens if you were born in North Korea? You know, what happens if you were born in a place where, where your performance or your, your merits aren't what moved you up and down the ladder of life? You had no control over of it. You know, you just happen to be born in a society that, like, appreciates hard work and rewards that. You can work your way up. But sometimes, you know, is hard work going to fix your marriage? You know, there are things that happen in life that you're like, whoa, I don't have the skills for this one. You know, is, is just trying harder, um, yeah, always going to fix it. What happens when, when you're working in your job and the people around you are being rewarded and promoted not because of their performance, but just because of, you know, hobnobbing with the boss or whatever. I mean, we, we all see this happen. Hard work doesn't necessarily fix everything. Success isn't the answer. In fact, that's very subjective in what that is. But one thing was clear Roy didn't want to live a beatitude life, and even if he did, he thought it would be totally impossible to do. And the truth is, I can't argue with Roy. These aren't qualities that necessarily come naturally to us. There is a piece of this that it sounds out of tune because we're out of tune with the way and the what God is doing among us or in us. And uh, we need the power of God. We need his spirit to do the impossible because our world is broken. It's out of tune with God's new world order, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus begins with this list of sayings that we call the Beatitudes. And Beatitude is the Latin word, the translation for uh, the, the Greek, in the original Greek, makarios, which means blessed. So beatitudes means blessed in Latin. Or another way that you could translate that into, into English is it means happy. Happy are those. So we've looked at the first two. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed or happy are those who mourn. And today... We're going to examine Jesus' claim that the meek are also happy or blessed. It sounds strange to us. We don't get it. And the meek often sound like these are the people who need just a real good boost of self-confidence, right? You can do it. They don't sound happy, especially as we understand happiness. And if we were to make a list of what makes a person happy or what would make me happy uh, if you think about that what would make me happy uh, what would be on that list for you and me I mean maybe the first thing that comes to mind is like wealth like lots of money wealth lots of sex 
right? I know you were all thinking that. Um, uh, what else would make me really happy? Um, if I didn't have to endure pain, physical, emotional, whatever, that could make me happy. Um, being approved of or accepted by everyone, that would be kind of a happy thing. What about just like a sense of peace and contentment in, in, in all of my life? That, that could be a component of happiness. Um, maybe living in a fair and just world, sure, that would make me happy. So uh, where I'm going with this is Peter Kreft, he's a, I mentioned him a few weeks ago, he's a, a professor of philosophy at Boston College, Boston University. And he makes this list with the Beatitudes, contrasting like what we understand makes us happy and what Jesus is saying, no, here's true blessedness or happiness. And so he, um, he kind of, um, he says it this way. And we'll put this on the screen to you. This is Peter Kreef. He says, to our desire for wealth, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To our desire for painlessness, he says, blessed are those who mourn. To our desire for conquest, he says, blessed are the meek. To our desire for contentment to ourselves, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To our desire for justice, he says, blessed are the merciful. To our desire for sex, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. To our desire for conquest, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And to our desire to be accepted, he said, blessed are the persecuted. To our desire for more life, he offers the cross. And now this man carrying his cross to Calvary even dares to tell us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So either Jesus is absolutely stark raving crazy or we have a lot to learn about true blessedness. Hint, hint, it's the latter. We have a lot to learn about true blessedness. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek. This might be, as I was preparing that this week, I thought, which one of these do, I, do we, do I misunderstand most? And the more that I think about it, it might be this one. I'm not sure. I'm sure from person to person, it, it, it varies. But blessed are the meek. Man, this one is hugely misunderstood. Um, this brings us back to my college friend, Roy. This was the actual thing that had him most miffed. Blessed are the meek? He's like, that's awful. I wouldn't want anyone to be meek. In fact, I see that as like a, an emotional personality problem like that you need to fix. Jesus says, blessed are you. Uh, no self-respecting person should ever aspire to become meek, is what Roy said. The old proverb goes, fortune favors the bold, does it not? The meek are the people who are just simply left behind. Well, being meek doesn't sound so blessed to our 21st century North American standards. And I learned something this week that the, the way, the, the word, so, you know, language creates culture, creates ideas. You know, we, the English language steals, begs, borrows from all different sorts of languages. And so according to the dictionary, the roots of our word meek actually come from Scandinavia. 
And I laughed about this, like, maybe this is why he was so upset. It means soft. Meek means soft. As a personality trait, does anybody want to be soft? No, it's terrible. But that's, that's where it came down into English from. Scandinavia means soft. Uh, in describing a person, meek means to be quiet, gentle, easily imposed upon, submissive. Jesus may have well have said, just be nice, right? I want all of my followers to be nice. That's what good followers of Jesus do. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are the spineless. Blessed are the doormats. Blessed are the timid and the weak. Blessed are the unassertive. Blessed are the submissive. That is not what Jesus is saying, but I think that's often what we hear. Now, blessed are those people who are used as doormats. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or they will inherit the land. And the reason that I know that's not what he's saying is because only two people in the entire Bible are described as meek. You know who they are? Moses and Jesus. Now, if you want to call either one of those two men or those two people soft, go right ahead. Right? Jesus, the one who was tortured and crucified on the cross, not soft. Moses, a man who murdered another man because of the way he was mistreating a Hebrew slave. Not his finest moment, moment and I'm not going to call that dude soft. The only two people in Scripture described as being meek or the, the, the Hebrew and Greek words for meek, Moses and Jesus. So exactly who are these people that Jesus talks about as being blessed? Well, there's kind of this collision of, of languages that we're going to sort out here. The Greek New Testament uses several words that get translated as meek. And the Greek words generally mean gentle or humble. And so Jesus, in, in the Beatitudes here, he's actually quoting Psalm 37. Let's read it this morning. This is just a sm small portion of Psalm 37. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. And here's what Jesus quotes. But the meek, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So Psalm 37 has this tension, did you hear it? Between the wicked who've prospered and the meek who've refrained from anger, turned from wrath, put their hope in the Lord. Remember those three things. The meek are the people who've refrained from anger, turned from wrath, put their hope in the Lord. Those are the people who will inherit the land. Or some Bible translations say they will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. 
when we read that, we, we may, or at least I do, I fix on the abundant prosperity piece. Oh, okay, if I just do this, this, and this, and this, God is going to bless me, I'm going to be rich. That's not what this is. This is expressing a hope in the promises that God, the land is the promised land. He's saying, this is how I will fulfill my promises. It's, you know, don't lose heart. Don't look at what all these people are doing, the way that they're headed over here. Relax. Follow me. You will inherit the land. Um, the layers of this linguistically are, are fascinating. Maybe it's because uh, I nerd out on stuff like this. But there's this huge collision of languages. Hebrew, Greek. There's actually the Greek translation of Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint, that happened about Jesus' time. So when they quote, when, when the disciples and Jesus quote Old Testament scripture, they're actually quoting the Greek translation. That's why when you read your English Bible and you look at the footnote and you look it up in the Old Testament, sometimes they're different and people go, that's different. Yeah, because they knew the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures. And uh, it adds all this texture to what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek. And the nuance here is important. In Psalm 37, the Hebrew behind meek is a word called anawim. Im in Hebrew is always like people. It means poor, afflicted, humble, meek. It's a synonym, synonym for uh, poor in spirit. And when you look at the Old, the Old Testament, that Hebrew word refers to someone who's afflicted or bearing a heavy burden. So the Hebrew concept behind being meek is all about the circumstances someone is willing to endure. It's the circumstances and not a state. Here's what I mean. Uh, the meekness of Moses isn't saying that he became this, you know, gelatin, amoeba-like, spineless person whenever he faced hardship. It means that even though it wasn't fair, uh, it, it, even though he maybe hadn't done anything wrong, he was actually following God into the wilderness. And it was hard. And he submitted to that, yes. But he was also willing to endure affliction. So in this way, Jesus is saying that if you're enduring cir circumstances where you're, you feel afflicted, not because you've You've made some really poor choices and you reap what you sow. But because you're trying to be faithful to God, Jesus is saying, you're blessed, not cursed. Jesus is saying, those are the kind of people who's, who will experience God's promises being fulfilled. You're not cursed. You think about how that would have sounded Jesus's Listeners, he's not saying, hey, if you people will just, um, if you just become a doormat, don't worry, God's going to bless you. He, he's talking to people who've been caught in the gears of history. They've been occupied by multiple superpowers. There just doesn't seem like, we're trying to be faithful to you here, God. What's going on? Meekness is describing the attitude of enduring those terrible circumstances. God sees you. God hears you. He hasn't forgotten or abandoned you. You're blessed. We feel like that. 
We feel humbled by life's circumstances. How many of you this morning, you feel like you're carrying a heavy burden? You know, uh, we feel like we're afflicted. We try and do the right thing while it seems like we're going backwards. It seems like we're looking around... (laughs) We're looking around the rest of our neighborhoods and our society and everyone else seems to be winning. But here I am trying to be faithful to God and it feels like I'm losing. What's up with that, God? Well, the good news for us is that God isn't against us. He's for us. Sure, we can take matters into our own hands. We can get angry. We can get even. We can try and cheat the system just like everyone else. Or we can keep our patience. We can keep our cool. We can keep our integrity We can wait for the Lord to fulfill his promises. We can wait for the Lord in hope that he will fulfill those promises. That's being meek. That's being meek. And so Israel has this tradition, uh, the prophetic tradition of saying, uh, God will deliver you. Don't lose hope. So there is a major dose of this in the Beatitudes. God's salvation is coming. Hang in there. Wait. There's also a huge tradition of of what we call wisdom. Like, if you live this way, it will go well for you. And this is sprinkled in there too. In fact, the followers of Jesus, they picked up on this. Um, They exhorted, you know, we're talking... Peter, Paul, all the disciples, the writing of the New Testament, we as followers of Jesus are exhorted to be meek. And they point to Jesus as the prime example. The term Matthew uses in Greek is praus, praus. It means humble, gentle. It shows up in places like Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, that's praus, meek, and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. When Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, this is Matthew 21, he quotes the prophet Zechariah. Matthew says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, praus, meek, and riding on a donkey on, on, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is what we know is a triumphal entry. And yes, riding a donkey is not a way to impress others. But it has to do with how people saw the king of the Messiah. They saw him as a conquering hero who's going to ride in on his white horse, winging all of his weapons and taking out the Romans and restoring... No, he's coming to you on a donkey. It's meek. And um, Jesus epitomizes a king who's meek. He brings salvation without the use of force and violence. When people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King say they were inspired by Jesus for this non-violent, non-violent approach to you know, confronting power, this is what they mean. It's the meekness of Jesus. They're not saying they were impressed because Jesus was soft. They're saying 
that uh, one person described it as, it's a strength of disciplined calmness. This was Jesus' style of leadership. Disciplined calmness. And this virtue of being meek was championed by all the writers of the New Testament. We find it all over the place. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It ends with, uh, in verse 23, gentleness, praus, and self-control. Uh, being meek is something that should be easily seen by others. Philippians 4, verse 5, let your gentleness, praus, your meekness, be evident to all. It guides how we treat one another in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, praus, meek. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, being meek even informs how we should behave in our society. In Titus chapter 3, it begins this way. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle, that's the word, toward everyone. There's many other examples, but I'll end with this. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul lifts up Jesus' characteristics of humility, of gentleness, of being meek. And he lifts these up while he was dealing, um, or like, this is how Jesus dealt with people. And he, and he says, this is the example of the church. And so uh, I'll put this passage of scripture up there on you, uh, for you because this is important for us today. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, that's his meekness, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, soft maybe, when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. He's talking about the difference between how he treats them in person versus some of the stuff that they read in his letters and they don't like it. Bold with you when I away. I beg that, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Next slide. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So many of us have memorized those last couple of verses, or at least heard them, or taken every thought captive. But the attitude and the stance is rooted in this whole idea of what it means to be a person who is meek, truly meek, blessedly meek. So how does this apply to us? I was thinking about this all week long, and the list is growing like as a leader, how do I capture this example of being meek? It's not this, oh, you're soft or you're a pushover. I mean, you could even say this in parenting. But it's this idea of it's a strength of disciplined calmness, of not freaking out. The sky isn't falling. Uh, it, it has to do with my reaction to people who disagree with me or uh, setbacks or hardships that I feel like thinking about Moses, like he was stuck in the desert for 40 years. This is what God asked him to do. 
And yeah, maybe he complained about it a couple times. He made some, he made some mistakes. But overall, he submitted to that. He was willing to bear that affliction. And in that is, a, is God's strength empowering him. We can do this. God's spirit is in us too. Uh, I, I was thinking this week about, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, I have the reaction to what just happened the last two years. And there's this feeling, you know, with the pandemic and, and where we are now, like, I'm just going to put some wallpaper up over that and forget it happened, right? I mean, that's kind of the temptation. But uh, it's impossible not to just reflect on and, and think about. And I think about it in terms of this, meekness. Like, on one hand, um, on one hand, the way that followers of Jesus responded I mean, and it was hard, like, not our best moment, right? In so many ways. But I think the issue is maybe not what was going on, but it was how we reacted to it. And when we're threatening lawsuits, when we're shouting others down, when we're angry, when we're operating out of frustration and defensiveness, how we react in a given hardship isn't meek. And on the one hand, um, you could say our reaction to things like the lockdown and all this against the, the governments trying to, you know, stamp out Christians and no, we're going to fight them and well, say what you want, but our response wasn't meek. On the other hand, some of our, our react like ghosting people, avoiding society, hiding from, you know, the fear and by the way, fear is the fear of, of this, you know, sickness. Oh, I might, you know, that's out there. But there's also the fear, the loss of control and freedom and all. I mean, all this stuff is going on. So let's not be too meek on one hand. Be soft. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But on the other hand, can we have a little discipline and calmness and recognition that God is faithful and even though life is hard or challenging or whatever we face, whether it's here and Christians here in North America or Christians in North Korea or Christians in um, Africa or Christians wherever, like we follow a Savior who modeled this for us. And we can look to him for help. He's not saying blessed are the doormats. He's saying blessed are you who allow God to fulfill his promises, that don't take matters into his own hands, but look to him for his guidance and wisdom and grace and mercy and soak that in. That's what he's saying. These are the people who are blessed. These are the people who are inherit the land. And so as we go forward in our you know, everyday life, what does that look like? I don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all it requires us actually actively leaning on God's spirit to form that character inside of us and to make those decisions real time when we're confronted with challenges. But the good news is we have a God who can do that, who's present and active and cares for us, speaks to us, 
we can discern what he says and where he leads. And we can do that together. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and as we turn our attention towards communion, this time of recognizing and celebrating your presence with us, this time of of remembering the death that you died for us on the cross so that we could find a new life in you. We come to this time, Lord, filled with thanks. We need your help. The things that you said so long ago to your disciples in that sermon, sometimes we find ourselves so out of sync and out of tune with with you. Help us to listen. Help us to lean, to take steps, Lord, to, to sync up with you, to become the kind of people that that you want us to be, that you will make us to be, Lord, as we follow you. So we pray for this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to invite, actually, uh, our servers here, Tom and Lindsay, to come forward. And they're going to grab these plates, and I'll give you a, a quick tutorial of how to do this. Grab one of these wafers. It's the body of Christ. Uh, and dip it into the cup there, the blood of Christ. And let me share the words of institution with you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray one more time. Lord, we come before you to celebrate your presence and goodness in our life. And we also confess our sins, the things that we've done and left undone that were against your will and your way for us. Help us to repent, Lord. Help us to to learn to live um, as you would want us to. Help us to follow your way, Lord, not just in terms of our individual everyday decisions, but the way of you in our whole life. We pray this in the power of your name. Amen. I'll ask you to rise and receive this morning's benediction. It's the body and blood of Christ broken and shed for you. Because of this, we can hear and see and uh, know a new way of life that's only found in Jesus. Because being meek doesn't sound like a good thing to do. But when you understand that this is Jesus' work in us, You get to see how Jesus can work through us, our meekness. And it's a blessed thing. So go forth this week in God's presence and his grace and his mercy and his meekness and follow the Lord. Amen? Amen. See you next week.